Yo, what's up and welcome back to the show. This is David Scales. This is Surf Splendor. Or wait, is it Surf Splendor actually? In fact, this show is called Caught Inside with Chris Cote. You might be asking yourself why. And the reality is, in light of my conversation with Scott Bass a couple of weeks ago, and just after doing this podcast for four years, a number of different show formats has emerged. And a time has come to delineate those show formats and to uh, distinctly brand each individual show and for them to have their own name. And the name of this show is Caught Inside. Why, you might ask? Well, that is because... I will be keeping you inside the industry scoop and gossip. And um, this show, the idea is to have caught inside with a rotating panel of co-hosts, of broadcasters, commentators, people who you already know. And when I say this style of show has emerged, this is similar to the Sal Masakela episode. This is similar to the Kyle Tierman show that I did a couple of weeks ago where... Um, only a portion of those shows were actually about that person as an interview subject. It was more about that expert in surfing discussing surfing, the contests that are happening, what's going on just in the world of sponsorship and the industry. And so who greater to gain insight from than these people who are right in the thick of it. So the, again, the idea is rotating co-hosts for caught inside and whoa, whoa, settle down. I know that you are wondering what about Scott Bass? Is it over? Good news. Scott will be back next week. Caught inside is not meant to replace Scott Bass. In fact, Scott and I have exciting news next week to announce um, a new show name and a revitalized show format. So look, a lot of good has come from this whole debacle. And you are not getting less content. You're not getting less Scott Bass. You're not getting less David Scales. You're going to get more content. And you're going to get insights from other professional broadcasters like Mr. Cote here. So be excited for the future. Scott and I will elaborate more on that next week. Feel free to celebrate now if you want. It's pretty exciting. Um, but I want to talk about Chris Cote real quick. Chris Cote has recently launched his own podcast. Welcome to the podcast world, Chris. Uh, Chris's podcast is called Monday Mass, and it's an action sports podcast. He does discuss surfing. He also discusses skate and snowboard. He packages it in about a 25-minute show, so it's neat, quick, concise, and um, it's been receiving rave reviews because Chris is a professional broadcaster. He's good at what he does. So excited to have Chris on this show to discuss that. I'm also excited because Chris Cote was actually the very first guest ever of Surf Splendor. He was episode number one, if you can believe that. So I don't know how many of you were listening back in those olden days, four years ago, but um, I wanted to launch the podcast and Transworld Surf, the print magazine, had just closed. And I thought, uh, I actually had a couple of episodes in the can, but I hadn't launched the show yet. And that was timely. It had just happened, I think, the week that I ended up uh, interviewing Chris. And so I thought that might be the best episode to launch the show with because it was timely. And so 
I was thrilled with that. And Chris was always super cool, even though I had no name recognition. There was no reason for him to talk to me. He was super cool about it. And I felt like that interview went really well. And I was proud to produce or to release this show or launch this show with that. So I've always been grateful for uh, to Chris for that. And I'm grateful to have him back on this show for the launch of this official new format, Caught Inside. Caught Inside with Cote. That actually has a ring to it. Um, so again, we'll have recurring guest hosts, and I'm going to try to produce this style of show about once a month. So you can look forward to that and look forward to Scott and I reconvening next week. So lots to look forward to. I appreciate you enduring the ever-evolving process of this show and helping me navigate the waters. Thank you for that. Feel free to leave comment about this show specifically or just this format and style on surfsplendorpodcast.com or on Instagram at surfsplendor. I also have a link on surfsplendorpodcast.com to Chris Cote's podcast. Just to give you a kind of precursor of uh, this conversation with Chris, the first 30 minutes or so are just catching up about where Chris is at, his podcast, his process, and then the rest of the show is um, a recap of the Oi Rio Pro. It's a review of Kelly Slater's new documentary film series, Continuance, and a couple of other things are in there too. So I hope that you enjoy. Again, this is David Scales. I'll be back at the end of the show to sign us off. Enjoy Caught Inside with Chris Kotek. So we're just, let's continue the conversation about um, the show format. You were just saying like you're experimenting with different formats and um, going solo versus having guests and all that sort of stuff. Right. So. Yeah. So Monday Mass podcast, which I'm on my 11th episode, I believe this Monday, you know, definitely it draws inspiration from shows like yours, from, you know, Mark Marin from NPR. So it's kind of like. Uh, I'm trying to do a, a hybrid to where I'm offering news, I'm offering short kind of clip style interviews, but for me, out of necessity to try to do it every single Monday, yeah, you know, I've I've found that, and I'm sure you can attest to this, that getting a guest is one of the hardest parts of actually even doing a podcast. Totally. So I tried to alleviate myself that kind of part of it to be able to maybe focus on not only doing it every single Monday, but keeping it quick, trying to keep it 30 to 40 minutes, and also uh, keeping it sustainable. <laughs> because yeah. I know if I have to rely on someone else, then that's kind of... I'm, I'm giving myself as few outs as possible, a few, yeah. as few excuses to not do it as possible, you know? Because you're you're going to get handcuffed by the limitations of their scheduling, right. and especially dealing with pro surfers and just people in the industry, everybody's on the road all the time. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many guys I've had that like will get ten emails back and forth of like, yeah, I'll definitely do it. And then oh, turns out I'm going to chase this swell. And yeah. then, oh turn and it just goes on for years like that. Yeah. And with everybody having the best intentions. Mm-hmm. But I've felt that as well, um, trying to maintain the consistent schedule. Cause it's like my allegiance is to the listeners. And if right. I say it's going to be up on Tuesday, I want it to be up on Tuesday. And if somebody else cancels, I really feel handcuffed by that. And then I feel terrible to the listeners. So I think that your assessment and your approach is totally spot on in the way to do it. And I also think that 
consistent content is probably more important than like nailing the A plus interview. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I feel like uh, you know also kind of setting myself up to do it to to putting Monday in the title. Yep. And you know, again, uh, nobody's paying for it. I'm not getting paid for it. Um, so it's like if I mess up or if I'm traveling or something and it goes up on Tuesday, it's like it's not the end of the world. But again, that was kind of myself giving myself I keep saying myself, giving myself the limitations to provide <laughs> a, a a constant and again sustainable format that, you know, I could I could really do the show by myself with no audio recordings of guests, with no real content and mm-hmm. I could still do the show. It might not be as interesting or as engaging as if I had a guest for both surf, skate, snow, whatever it would be. Yeah. You know, but I'm I'm kind of giving myself as many options as possible. And Good. you know, that's why it's it's the Monday Mass with Chris Cote. Right. Because it's like if you want to hear what I have to say about these things, then you get that every time. The yeah. bonus is you could talk to Nigel Houston or Josh Kerr or, you know, Kelly Slater, maybe, right. probably not, but <laughs> someday. Um, so have you hit your Monday target each time? I have. I'm on... Good uh, for you. I think I'm, well, 10 in a row. Good for you. Um, I think the the one that I was sketched on was I was in Brazil for a Vans uh, Park Series event. And, you know, after you work those kind of long events, the last thing you want to do is talk for for fun, I guess, <laughs> as right. a, you know, yeah. as an out... as as a hobby and so I kind of just forced myself to do it and it actually turned out to be one of my better shows Mm. I was in a random hotel room and I literally put myself under the blankets under the covers and recorded yeah recorded the podcast to prevent echo basically yeah exactly yeah Yeah, so that was you know it's kind of that kind of stuff and you know I think it it comes across and it's it's authentic I mean I'm obviously doing it for fun but I'm also doing it to inform and entertain yeah and so I put guilt upon myself to do it every single Monday and this was a few episodes ago where I didn't know how many people were listening and I didn't know that people were starting to like it and people were starting to expect it and so now of course now there's more pressure if you know (laughs) each one has to be better than the last yeah it's so funny talking about being under your sheets. I used to do a very similar thing. like, And my setup right now is pretty rinky-dink, but it was even worse back then. And I had a video camera that had a better mic on it than any audio mics that I had. So I just would film everything and then just pull the audio file off the video right. and upload that. And <laughs> so those could be some creepy videos. <laughs> under the covers. Exactly. Dead. So I remember literally setting up I needed to do like like a post production like intro or outro and I set up like a a basically a pillow fort with like couch cushions. I love it. Got in it cuz I was like my place is just way too echoey, you know? Yeah. Um so yeah, I went through all of that too and I'm still I mean that's the thing is like I'm still trying to figure out the format of the show. Yeah. And I've done episodes that weren't didn't have any guests where it's just me doing a big monologue. Mhm. And um and it's like I don't think those... I got negative feedback, basically. Some listeners are like, I like this about it, but it's always better with a guest. Yeah. So the elements they liked about it, I've tried to incorporate into other shows. 
Um, and I still will end up doing those as well for the same reasons that you just talked about. But I make sure to always kind of try to get a little bit of rapport with yeah, somebody else. Absolutely. Which, how many shows are you on now? 165 wow. or something Congratulations. Like that. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> That's so awesome. four years. And like my target was once a week, but I haven't hit that target. Yeah. Um, because I guess at four years, that'd be 200 shows, so maybe I've missed 40 or well, something. Well, you're, you're lucky you didn't call it, like, Surf Splendor Saturdays or exactly. something. Because then you'd be screwed like I am. You have to do it every single Monday. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've then thought you about to- committing to Monday. Like, for you, when I saw your show, I was like, does that mean you're working on Sunday night to get it up? Because, like, Monday's a bad day to choose in my mind. It's Yeah, it's rough. Yeah. So I basically, you know, the process is throughout the week, I have either, I have a notebook and on my computer, I have a Word document. And once you know, I'm constantly looking at all the web, you know, media, action sports. I'm doing air quotes, yeah, because you have to do that when you say action sports. We need um, a new term, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> and so I'm, uh, you know, I'm just constantly looking at that stuff anyway because that's what I look at during yeah. the day. And so I'm taking taking little snippets and putting them in this Word doc. And by Saturday ish, I have you know pretty much all the content that I'm going to be talking about. And so I'll do a bullet point kind of script just of the main topics and then I'll riff on those. Um, Sunday nights, I try to put them together, usually during the commercials when I'm watching 60 Minutes. Okay. <laughs> so I'm kind of putting the things together. If I'm really on it, I'll have the intros loaded onto GarageBand. I'll have my bullet points ready. And I'll have a couple of the backing tracks, you know, because I put music on it. I'll have some of those laid out. That's when I'm really on it. And then I come into my office at about 7 on Monday morning. Because it's, it's kind of hard because a lot of the news comes out Monday morning. Yeah. And I'm in that weird little time slot where I'm actually recording where, you know, the Felipe Toledo thing from last week was a great example on my podcast on Monday I was going, Felipe got an interference and nothing happened. Whatever. Everything was cool. It's just a surf contest, blah, blah, blah. I'm saying how chill it was when a half hour after I hit send and put the podcast up, all that news comes out about Felipe Toledo storming the judging tower and all that stuff. Yeah. And so I'm going, ah, well, that gives me something to kind of recap, go back, and then rehash in this next Monday's. But that, that time frame from 7 to 8 a.m. on Mondays, I'm I'm actually looking on these certain websites that I have kind of queued up yeah. as I'm recording just to make sure, you know, I'm hitting refresh like nothing big happened because that's, you know, the news cycle. And Instagram looking, you yeah. know, God forbid somebody dies, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, something better happens. Something Chris good Cornell, happens. by the way. Today. Right. Yeah. I know. That just it's, happened. And it's, it's, that's like where we get our news. Yeah. You, you you turn you go and look at your Instagram when you go into the restroom in the morning and yeah. you find out awful and or good stuff. Who and did a backflip? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, you've obviously been involved in a lot of different uh, media platforms. Print, Transworld Surf was your big thing for a yeah. while there. Um, commentating events, both live on the beach and on the web, of course, and now podcasting. Why podcasting? Why did you even want to get involved in it? I've, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a long time. Um, motivation was a factor. Uh, basically not knowing exact exactly how the back end worked. 
you know, I've recorded stuff onto GarageBand, into whatever, you know, I've recorded stuff forever. But the idea of the follow-through, I can record it, I can make the show, and I did this with Cote's Cube. I filmed it, I edited it, and that was easy enough to just put it on a website. But for the podcast world, I was kind of lost as, as far as... You know, not only getting it on iTunes and getting it on our youonline.com network, but also how the nuts and bolts worked with all that. And so I had Chris Cantori, who has been a San Diego radio personality forever, and he's done a ton of social media work. And so we met and basically kind of just decided we need to work together in some way. And he had just started You Online. And the, the minute they... Y-E-W for the listeners. Yeah. You! Yeah, you. exactly. So the minute he told me that he wanted to do this podcast network, I'm going, dude, you just read my mind because I want to do a podcast. And from there, it was kind of, you know, just the kick in the ass that I needed. Like, okay, just do it. Yeah. Because again, this is something that it it's still... While it's growing so fast and there's so many amazing podcasts out there, it's still kind of Wild West-ish what you can do. And people are still figuring out the power of this that for me, you know, I already have six jobs. (laughs) And so adding this other thing on as a test, a pilot episode, pilot episodes, if you will, not knowing, you know, that eventually I could be making $10 per episode from a sponsor. You know, it it became more about, you know, wanting to get involved with this awesome world of podcasting and kind of as I'm doing it now, I'm starting to hear the feedback of how many people that I had no idea listen to podcasts because I've loved podcasts for a long time. I'm sure obviously you have too. Um, but I kind of thought I was in a minority. Yeah. But now I'm realizing that the vast majority of people, at least that I know, or even that are into things like skating or snowboarding or surfing, obviously music, train. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're in my office in Encinitas, by the way, next to the train tracks. On the good side of the tracks. Right. Um, the ocean you know, side. Yeah, it's just podcasting is on fire right now and I didn't do it because I thought it was going to be a cool trendy thing I did it because A it's way easier than editing video I mean that's my laziness I guess and my technical abilities but B I just love the idea of you know there's niches within niches within niches and I feel like the action sports niche um, wasn't fully being served totally there are a few um, there's a, a a ton of podcasts in the world of skate, snowboarding, surfing, um, specific. But, you know, for me, I've always been able to, or I've developed a way to be able to engage the core audience and the broad audience in all of the action sports. So it's kind of, I don't know, something that I've, I, I guess, a skill that I've developed to, to talk to the core people, keep them engaged while informing the broad audience. And that's, kind of like a fuel tv style or, yeah, yeah you know yeah. what the wsl would would want their commentators to do and we do it all the time for red bull and skate you know you're you're, you're talking about something that's very technical like a switch kickflip or you know 540 air and you don't want to make the people who know what those are who, who could possibly even do a kickflip you don't make them feel like they're 
getting too much information. Like I don't, I don't need to know about this. I know how to do that. Right. Whereas somebody that doesn't know how hard a five forty is or a kickflip, you want to still teach them. So there's a, a a fine balance, I guess. Yeah. And I feel like I'm good at appeasing both, and so that's where the Monday Mass kind of idea came from. I think you guys do a good job of um, walking that line with the Volcom events, like the Volcom Pipe Pro, where it's actually the terminology that you guys are using is more core than what we see on the other WSL events where they're, right. I think pandering to the lowest common denominator and trying to just explain to Joe Schmo who doesn't know what surfing is, what they just saw you guys on the Vulcan pipe pro are using a lot of jargon, like the word pig dog. Exactly. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> and, and I think that that's okay for the person who doesn't know the sport. Now they feel like they're inside the sport, even if they don't know what that means. Yeah. I, I don't think that they turn off the broadcast at that point, you know? Yeah, what's interesting because Dave Wassell and I, um, just a couple days ago, did the uh, did a VO session for, for those who don't know, voiceover. So, uh, we, <laughs> we did a, a voiceover session for the NBC Signature Series broadcast for Red Bull of the Vulcan Pie Pro. So Red Bull Signature Series re-edits the whole contest down into... Uh, an hour program, right? And that's for the NBC audience. So it's pretty cool because we already commentated the event. We know the outcome. We knew what the waves were going to be like. We knew all that information going into the VO boxes. Um, but in in terms of kind of informing and I guess educating the NBC audience. It was fun because, you know, Dave or I would say something to the... We did talk about pig-dogging. He pig-dogged his way through that barrel. Yeah. And then it was kind of cool because you immediately get to go, you know, pig-dogging is a derivative of three-point stance. Think of a football player. That's how you stay strong and, you know, you can withstand the force of the wave hitting you or saying doggy door. Mm -hmm. So we got to use the slang and then just that little quick informative recap of well the doggy doors when the waves closing all around you it's a small exit you gotta find it's finding the doggy door Ep- what's the uh tracing the lineage of a word or language i think it's epidemiology or something there's a word for yeah. that process and that is interesting because i even as you're saying pig dog it's like i don't i've never even thought of where that term came from well, one of the producers um uh, a guy named Claude who does all the Red Bull TV and Red Bull Media House stuff that a lot of the stuff that I do with uh, with him he was googling pig dog just to kind of make sure a if it wasn't offensive to you know we that was to my first it. thought yeah. too <laughs> and then also to see if it was even like a real a real word yeah and uh, it was pretty interesting it, it it came from a a hunting kind of like hunting hunting terminology okay. Um, where it was an actual dog that would either hold the pig or, you know, flush the pig out. And then I guess that somehow morphed into, you know, the pig dog stance on your surfboard, backside barrel with your hand on the rail, where it's a three-point stance. And you immediately think of a, a defensive lineman or, a, you know, a lineman in football with their hand on the ground and their legs kind of bowed out, yeah. standing strong. Okay. yeah. And so I don't know how the actual pig dog that holds the pig when you're hunting transferred to tube riding. Yeah. But, you know, or that's, to the football that's searching for, for you. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there's one missing component there in the connection. But um, 
I wanted to comment on you talking about podcasting being the Wild West. I totally agree, and I think that is what the charm is in it for a lot of people, where it's like there's podcasts out there that are five minutes long. There's some that are three hours long. Like if you've ever listened to hardcore history, it's unbelievably long, you know? And, um, and that's not right or wrong. And then you can curse if you want, you can do whatever. There's no bureaucracy. And so I do feel like at some point there will be some sort of, is it FAA or something? FCC, and FCC? Right. Yeah. There will be at some point. And so it is very cool to be in this early phase where it's like, hey, man, we're all artists like in Greenwich Village doing our thing. Like yeah. nobody's here to tell us what to do and rent's cheap. And like it's – there's no barrier of entry. Yeah. Which I think creates a lot of white noise and like just – a ton of content out there, but it also allows for you to just have free reign and do whatever you want to express. Yeah. So I, I've, I've felt a lot of that same sentiment that you just expressed. And that's kind of why I wanted to get involved in it too. And when I started doing it four years ago, like there was almost no surf podcast out there. And I was spending a lot of time listening to podcasts and just desperate for surf content. Yeah. You know, I I wish somebody would do this. Totally. I got to do it. Exactly. So, um, so what ig- what exactly is you online? So you online, uh, basically Chris Cantori. Like I said, he was a radio guy forever, and he also came from a social media background. So he had the idea to take this word that is more of a sound. You know, I mean, we surfers and skaters, whoever they say it all the time. You go you, yeah, and it's just an easy way to say hello or. Good job. Or, or anything. Or, yeah. you know, screw you. Yeah. It's kind of one of those just noises that people make, especially in Southern California. The um, recipient always knows the meaning, though. Yeah, exactly. You know, even though it's the same exact word, you know. Yeah. Whether it was a positive or a negative or a high. Or yeah, what. there's you can say it sarcastically like, you! <laughs> Thanks, bro. Um, you know, it's it's that, just like a fun slang word. And so he he bought the website, you online. And the model is, you know, Southern California lifestyle content, whether it's surfing, skating, um, tacos, uh, craft beer, um, you know, there's an element of the kind of marijuana, green rush kind of vibe Yeah. with all, you know, with Tori Holistics is one of our main sponsors. And so we, we do a lot of the festivals and, you know, for me, it's like, I'm not a weed guy, but I'm totally a CBD oil guy now. Mm. And I feel like it's all getting more and more acceptable. So you kind of put that in there with the the lifestyle stuff, whether it's, you know, what's what's hot right now? Shark attacks. Um, you know, coming into summer, there's tons of music festivals. And I don't know, Cantore has a background in music and he's he's been surfing forever. So it's him and I kind of... We share so many similarities. We never knew each other. I knew him from listening to the radio. He knew me from commentating surf events and so we finally just linked up and met and it yeah. was it was kind of i don't know this weird moment Love at first sight yeah we both have the same initials he's like a big guy he's six foot plus and i'm a smaller fella and so we're kind of like um twins you know he's arnold schwarzenegger and i'm danny devito but <laughs> i love yeah. devito though yeah we you know it's yeah and so it's it's basically it's all fun stuff that we're into and so you look at a, a website, you know, Barstool Sports is a perfect example of some friends in a 
in a bar mm-hmm. talking about stuff and they go well that would have been a cool story you know on the internet mm-hmm. or, you know Tom Brady's this or whatever and so these are guys from Massachusetts that have now built this incredible empire off of selling t-shirts uh, you know their website has just been going off and so it's it's kind of a similar thing to where everybody wants to be involved in the Southern California lifestyle for lack of a better description yeah I mean, we're looking outside right now. It's 70 degrees. It's beautiful. There's, like, hot chicks running by all day. There's fit men right here in this office, you and I. (laughs) Uh, You know, there's surfing. There's people skating by. It's, it's, no matter where you would, where you live in the world, you want to know what's going on here in Southern California, and you want to at least get a taste of it. Totally. You know, Mexican food, burritos, good burger spots, craft beer, whatever you're into. You know, we do a lot of that stuff the best here. And so it's kind of a way to celebrate that lifestyle and kind of all these fun things. And also, you know, it's a way to share our love for music and surfing and events. And I don't know, just kind of spread the... We're talking about like spreading the stoke. Mm -hmm. And it sounds corny, but it's... there's, There's room on the internet for positive vibes and yeah. you know just talk about fun things and you know good times and that's kind of what we're going for and then through that you know Cantori's buddy designed this logo this YEW and I mean anytime you show somebody a sticker or the hats that we've made the t-shirts people go whoa I want that you know it's not necessarily the coolest of the cool like Noah Dean I don't know if he would wear one but he <laughs> might but it's kind of like it's a really charming fun thing you know yeah, it's, yeah. and and we're, we're thinking that the clothing element of it could go off I mean look at what is it life's good life is good dude in his there's a dude who made these shirts that said life is good with a stick man on it I've holding like a shirt. golf club right yeah this guy's a multi multi-millionaire he was selling these shirts out of his trunk of his car there's I mean stores in the airport dedicated yeah. to life is good crazy and i did not know that story yeah it's the same thing back in the day with the smiley face right exactly. the yellow smiley face thing. keep calm and carry on i mean all these things that are I never need to see that again yeah yeah so hopefully <laughs> you'll in five years go i never want to hear the word you again it's so blown out these yeah. guys are rich off um, you. yeah well so you said you have six jobs what else mm-hmm. what else you got going on so um obviously the U Media Empire that we're building has become one of them, and that includes uh, the podcast, the Monday Mass. And then I have Encinitas Magazine, which is a bi-monthly local magazine, glossy, beautiful, incredibly done magazine. I'm holding one in my hand. I almost thought that was Nat Geo right there. Yeah, this one does look like Nat Geo. that cover shot? We did that on purpose. So this is, uh, again, this isn't something that I or we do for an incredible amount of money. This is <laughs> something for, you know, it's a, it's a way to celebrate Encinitas. And I love this town. I love everything that, uh, you know, this, this town embodies and the restaurants, the vibe, the, you know, the people and the history. So it's a really fun way to celebrate that. And, you know, we're trying to sell ads and it's, it doesn't take up a lot of time, yeah. but it's more of, a passion project, I guess you will. Are you, you know, editor of that, or I'm editor in chief, and uh, it's basically all people that previously worked at Transworld. Our publisher, Tim Risley, was the boss of Transworld for a while. Uh, Zach Cordner, our photo editor, Aaron Schmidt, and Aaron Regan 
all we've all worked together in certain capacities at Transworld. Um, whether it's Warp Magazine, Transworld Skateboarding, so we're kind of like Transworld stepchildren. Sure. And so it's really fun to just keep those bonds together and still this is a way to keep my writing chops sharp. Yeah. And it's a way to stay in print, which these days, you know, is extremely difficult. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like the model of the local publication is not as broken as kind of the broader international publications that mm-hmm. I've worked for because I'm walking around the street and I go into a restaurant and I go, oh, here's the article I wrote about you. And, you know, these owners, they're, they're in tears. They're so happy. You know, it was very rare to have a pro surfer go, hey, thank you for running that photo of me. That was really cool. Yeah. Interesting. You know, <laughs> but you do this and people are really appreciative. And, you know, yeah. I, again, I, I want to keep this town as vibrant and yeah. as, as, uh, I hate the word authentic, but you know, I want to keep it. I want to keep it homey and and cool. That's actually similar to why I started the podcast as well, which was like, I feel like surfing has been such a informative part of my life and has shaped who I am that I would like to give something back to it. Right? You know what I mean? And Absolutely. that's kind of what you're talking about too. It's like I love this community. I have this skill set. I would like to gift the community yeah. this. Yeah, and it's fine if you make a couple of bucks on you know off yeah. of it. <laughs> well, it'll motivate you to keep worlds. doing it. Yeah, totally. And you have to buy microphones and all that. Totally. Um, so beyond oh, so beyond Insane's magazine. So I do. Uh, I still do a ton of commentary. I do the Vans Pro, uh, Vans Park series, six stops around the world, and that actually you know signing up for that whole series cut into a little bit of time that. And some of the events that I could have done for WSL, which is a bummer, but at the same time, I love the Vans Park series. I've loved skateboarding for longer than I've loved surfing, so that was a really, you know, it's an honor to do those events, and they're super fun. They're two days, you know exactly when they're going to happen, and they're in unique, cool places. And for me, it was just a a different challenge because I could talk surf, you know, blindfolded with duct tape on my mouth and Mm -hmm. still sound like I know what I'm talking about so it was fun to jump into skate and do that Um, I do uh, Red Bull events when you know a lot of them are are kind of uh, I guess shotgun starts you know Red Bull Cape Fear yeah uh, Red Bull Heartlines which is a skate event as as much Red Bull stuff as I can do because it's so fun and those events are so unique and just crazy like Cape Fear was the craziest surf contest I've ever seen yeah I mean it was right up there with the eddy for me um, it was a phenomenal event to watch it was online mental yeah. I thought it was the scariest thing I've ever seen um, and then uh, I still hopefully will do more WSL stuff you know the big wave world tour stops that um, you know I sometimes get to call up for those yeah like I said I did the eddy last year when it ran um, what else I do uh, consulting and kind of brand building and or social media work with a couple of different brands and working with the company in Carlsbad called Gnarlywood. They do um, warehousing, distribution, um, shipping, receiving. They do their own products. They're, uh, it's basically, you know, you'd think third-party logistics, but it's just these amazing, this amazing crew. There's four brothers and and 
I go in there probably once a week and I work with them every day on social media or, you know, helping build out their website. And these guys are so just, they're so rad. Hmm. They're all over the spectrum. They're heavy metalers, rappers. I mean, they do it all. And they're the kind of people that I like to surround myself with. Super positive, really hardworking, smart weirdos. You know, and I, I hopefully I put myself in that category. Yeah. Um, but they're also crushing it business wise. I mean, getting every time I go in there, they've got a new client that is like, "What? Really? How did you get? You know?" And so it's super fun to be a part of that. And you know, it's again, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm earning. You know, I'm making money, but at the same time, I'm getting so much in learning how yeah. to do all this stuff. Totally. Hold on a second. Yeah. Totally. Yo, what up? And then uh, I guess beyond the business side of things, kind of the fun things that I do that also help put uh, Legos in my kids' drawers Under and your feet. yeah, mac and cheese in their stomachs. Uh, I do I do a lot of DJing still. Right, I've yeah. seen that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, play play musical shows every once in a while. But DJing is probably more common. I got just DJed the skateboarding hall of fame induction ceremony awesome. which for me was again it's like i get paid to do this i'm on stage getting ready to play i'm looking out every one of my skate heroes but from childhood to now i mean rodney mullins 10 feet in front of me day one songs right here uh christian so all these guys you know i'm freaking Crazy. out i'm super nervous get a tap on my shoulder and this guy's all hey so what are you gonna play i turn around it's glenn e friedman you know, guy who shot original photos of Fugazi and Minor Threat, Bad Brains, and I'm all, uh, panic, fanboy moment. And, you know, so I'm going, okay, pressure's on, you know? And it, it makes it so fun to just be, like, that fired up because you know. Not that, you know, they're not going to come up and be like, this sucks, dude. Stop right. playing this stuff. But you want to impress them and you want to kind of look out and see someone maybe, like, give you a nod and look up like yeah good song and and i glenn e friedman nodded and said great job wow for me that was insane that's all you need yeah so it's it's things like that that you know my inner geek is gets gets so psyched on to yeah. be able to you know i've dj'd trans with skateboarding awards i still do uh two 80s heat shows at the belly up per year we do july 3rd and halloween and you know, I don't even drink or party or anything anymore, but those things get me, give me the same right. kind of high that I used to get. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, it's uh, wild. Well, it's a theme that's been uh, recurring on this show when I interview people is like, do what you love. Like, have passion projects. Do it for free. Do it forever. And eventually you end up getting paid to do it, you yeah. know, and then doing it for people that you never would have anticipated doing it before. Oh, for sure. The people who are like always asking for a raise, trying to claw their way to the top, don't ever get there. Or if they get to some version of it, they're not happy when they get there. So that story that you're telling of just like, I do this magazine for nothing, and then I do this for a little bit of something, and then I yeah. DJ'd forever, but now I get to DJ for... Th like, that's happened over and over again with the people that I've had on this show who... The reason why they're sitting across from me is that they've done something of interest and good, and they're successful at it. And so... Um, it's an interesting common denominator. Yeah, yeah. You if you know? do, you know, six things you love, yes, it is a lot of work, but doesn't feel at least like you're work. not doing anything you hate. Yeah, 
Yeah, know? and honestly, I said this to somebody recently where it's like, I think that is um, the business model of today of running your life is like have multiple different income sources. You know, like yeah. I just need, like you said, five or six little dribbles from faucets that are leaking into the pool rather than one fire hose blowing into the pool to fill it up. Because right. if that fire hose gets cut off, what do you do? You're yeah. screwed. If you lose a leaky faucet, no big deal. I got these five other ones and I was doing it for fun anyways. You yeah, know? So I think totally. that's kind of the way of the world nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, the democratization of the internet and all that just allows you to work from home and do all, whatever else. Um, anyway, segueing beyond the business matters. Yeah. Uh, did you watch the Rio event? I watched most of it. Yeah, it's a tough one for us, dude, in the middle of the night. It, it, yeah, the, the hours are strange and, you know, waves were kind of off and on. Yeah. And I feel like, the you know, the heat analyzer has become my best friend. Totally. And I'm sure a lot of people agree. And, I, you know, I'm sure that's a huge portion of the views that d- WSL is getting just because, uh, for me, there's, I don't know, there's maybe 10 or so guys on tour that I'm excited to watch surf. Right. And even with those guys, I, dude, I don't want to watch threes. You know, I'm busy. Right. <laughs> We're yeah. busy. I want to watch sevens, eights, nines. Yep. I want to watch the matchups that I want to see, um, you know, and if I if I've heard, let's say it's... John John versus whoever, and I hear he loses. I'm like, I don't want to watch that heat, you yeah. know. So it's it's it gives you kind of the opportunity to really pick Cherry and deck. choose and yeah. kind of make your, I guess, choose your own adventure through these events. But with that being said, I, I end up starting, you know, picking the exact moments that I want to watch, and that always becomes the wormhole to where I go. Well, maybe I do want to watch. Coyote Belly's Heat, or maybe I do want to watch this guy's, you know, and, and I end up watching a bunch of it. It's funny. I, I'll wake up in the morning intentionally not check Instagram because I know the results will be posted. Right. That's, yeah. I'll get to work, open the computer, go to the heat analyzer. Like if I have a long day in front of Photoshop or something, open up the side computer, pull up Heat 1 without actually scrolling down to see any scores. Like I'll block the screen and click play wow. then scroll down so i don't so i can watch it in real time basically okay, it's not yeah. live anymore but yeah. i'm pretending it's live yeah so i don't know if john john lost to yago dora or right. whatever you know um but with the so the problem with the rio event is just the waves are so terrible that it's like it's actually not even interesting to watch so with this event i did kind of what you were doing which is just cherry yeah. pick and watch the highlights but seriously somebody instagrammed me yesterday and they're like Man, Sakurama really, uh, the waves look so fun out there. Like, I'm really glad they changed the venue. And I was like, what? The waves looked terrible yeah, to looked me. Yeah, the dude. same, if not worse, dude, than Rio proper. Seriously, wasn't it? Well, Rio proper, uh, or Ipanema, I guess, where they, is that where they have the, I have no idea, yeah. So, when it was there, that dumpy, crazy, sh- like, storm yeah. chunk... I love watching that. I agree. Know? And I was excited because I thought I've seen events that passed in Sakurama and it was just like a, a long, rippable left hander. And I was going, I love watching people surf lefts that you can actually rip yeah. and do multiple turns. There were so many people where you never get to see them do turns on their backhand, like Julian Wilson and, yeah. you know, John John, Jordy Smith guys that you really you want to see them do big backside tail 
tail wafts and all that fun stuff. And this was kind of setting up to be an event to where we got to see that. I had Jimmy Wilson come on and kind of give me his passion picks. And that was a big thing that we were talking about is we expected this left-hand point break kind of wave. Mm -hmm. And so all of the fantasy picks and all that and kind of heats he wanted to watch were set up to to view in that format. And then when it came out that it was... I don't know if the the sand or whatever it was was wrong, and all the backwash was coming through, and it just looked like guys are going right. It looked like a a super fun day at D Street, you know. Okay, it looked like a fun day at your normal local. Beach I break. felt that same way. Like I would have fun out there. I'd yeah. be having a blast out there. But let's get real. This is the world tour, and these guys are supposed to be surfing the best waves in the world. Yeah, this isn't even close. Yeah, it's, it's pretty lackluster, dude. It's not even close based on beach break standards. Like, yeah, it's even terrible. When you go into the US Open, when you go into, you know, certain events, you have an expectation, you know, your expectation for waves might be a little bit lower. US Open is a perfect example of it's not the waves that you're necessarily watching, you're watching how these guys can surf bad waves True. that we always surf. Totally. And it becomes a study in how to do it right. Mm-hmm. Because when I commentate the US Open, I surf 10 times better the next couple of days because I've been watching so, so closely, you know, yeah. like this is how you do it. And it's similar if somebody, you know, pros come through your local skate park and they're hitting stuff and yeah. like doing, you know, getting the place you're going, oh, I didn't even know you could get there. Yeah. And it's kind of similar with surfing, but at the same time, it's like that is supposed to be the best of the best, the elite, Yeah. not only with surfers, but also waves. We're talking CT level here. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is a little deflating when... You know, you are excited to watch this kind of uh, spectacle, and it just becomes all these guys more just fighting to survive and yeah. kind of surf through the motions, surfing for fives. Yeah, and it's like Yago Doro was the best part of that contest. Yeah, and other than that, it's like you know, like, I don't know. It it went and it went for a long time, and I think <laughs> if you were there, it would have been amazing. I know. The commentators were fired up, and that kind of helped. Yeah, because they really got across the excitement on the beach right. and the whole vibe, which it definitely helps. But then it's like you go back to the waves, and it's you know, yeah, head high, bouncy. So Wilco said after his round three heat, he said, "Quote: I feel like I haven't done a turn yet. It's weird to be in round four and be able to say that. That's very telling. It's totally, and he probably shouldn't have said it, like because it's validating what we all thought. I mean, honestly." Don't put a muzzle on him. Let him say what he wants to say. Yeah. But I I did think, like, eek. That only validated my concerns. Yeah, every contest has moments that you remember for, you know, even if they're not spectacular, but there's, oh, you know, when you go surfing the day after the contest ends or even throughout the event, at yeah. least around here in Sydney, you go surfing and there's always a conversation. Did you see John John's alley-oop? Did right. you see Jordy's... Whatever you know, ten. Did you see this? Did you see that? Not one person said. Did you see that wave that insert surfer name here got or, or that air specifically? Owen, uh, Derek Riley wrote a piece on Beach Grid about Owen Wright getting like a nine nine three on a right. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> he, he did. I think the way Derek put it is like he did four similar turns and then a wiggle off the whitewash. And like, is this what a nine nine three looks like in today's world? Right. Absolutely not. And I understand, like, in the context of the heat, that was a 993. But, like, if you just 
show that to some random person in middle America and it's like, this is the pinnacle of our sport. They'd be like, that's boring. Yeah. You know? It's well, you, not exciting. Yeah. But, you know, then you watch Yago Dora's Heats. Right. And they were super fun to watch. They were exciting. And I feel like, and I just talked to Josh Kerr about this, people were being, or people, a lot of the guys on tour were being really negative about the waves and about you know the the spot because I think they were the same as the fans. They had an expectation of what it was going to be like. It was not like that, and I heard it was really hard to surf during free surfs because not only was it backwashy and kind of weird, but also super crowded. So a lot of people were getting kind of down on the the negative side of the spot, and that showed people weren't fired up you know right. Yago Doro was super fired up and it totally. showed totally you know Adriana de Souza fired up absolutely showed. <laughs> you know so it's like it's that's a whole thing it's these guys are the best surfers in the world they should be able to surf through whatever what why are we in Brazil why do we need an event there well I think the crowd on the beach kind of answers that just the the love of it the you know this this is a global sport and you know you can't kind of say that without thinking of the Olympics you know, there is one eighteenth of the crowd at lowers, sure, at pipeline, uh, at wherever you go in the world that there is at in Brazil. So it's it's numbers, it's crowd, you know, participation, and I feel like if if the waves would have been good, you know, that we wouldn't really be having this conversation. So again, it's kind of a conditional thing. I think even if the waves are at their best, they're not world class. Yeah. And so, and I understand what you're saying about the crowd. I'm just not sure how that translates to what we're trying to do with the world tour. Right. Because there's no crowd at Cloudbreak. Yeah. But the, crowd's kick, all, the crowd's all behind the computer. Why are you going to kick them off Cloudbreak off tour? Yeah. Heck no, you know? So I think the focus should just be A plus waves and forget about where you want to set up industry. And like, is the WSL. Is that one of their decisions is like, hey, Brazil, we want to cultivate board short sales in this country for the brands that support us. And so we're going to go do that. And that's partially what the U.S. Open is about. But as far as I'm concerned, keep it a QS level event. I don't yeah. think it needs to be a world tour. Yeah, I think, I think that's an interesting kind of note there where you don't really do the U.S. Open to – the Vans U.S. Open of Surf. You don't really do uh, the Vans U.S. Open of Surf to get a huge web audience. You know, you do it to get those people on the beach to sell that lifestyle. Um, I'm sure a lot of people watch it, but mm-hmm. you know, you. I feel like those events are more for the the beach crowd. Totally, and you know that maybe could be something with Brazil. I mean, I think it just as a whole, there's 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 two. There's, the events are too long. You know, you could totally. you could total, you could package up the first couple of rounds and just do a highlight thing, and then show the best of the best at the end of it. Take up two days with the best part of the swell. Right. And I know there's places in Brazil with incredible waves. I thought Sacaremo was going to provide. Could have. You know, but I think it's just one of those things where you know, with all the best intentions, and it just kind of f- fell flat viewing wise, but. Storyline wise, we did get a lot from that event. That's totally true, and <laughs> we got a lot to talk about from we, that event. We do. Um, I will say that 
I guess the most disheartening thing that I didn't even realize until you said it is that it's one thing for the internet and us fans to be bummed watching it, but if the actual surfers themselves don't even want to be there and then it's translating through their performances, now we have a problem. Yeah. You know, and why didn't Kelly Slater show up? Like, Kelly yeah. doesn't want to be there. And obviously, Kelly stated that he is having a back problem. But my question to you is like, if it was eight foot Chopu, would Kelly have withdrawn? Yeah. If, if that back, if. Fiji was scheduled when uh, Brazil was. Would Kelly have withdrawn from that event? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a weirdo, so who knows? Tell uh, me. Yeah, I know. know you know the insight. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. It, would he have withdrawn? That's, dude. That's a. That's a. Oh, that doesn't work. Oh, it doesn't. Here, it's cool. Um, no, I got this. Do you have any secret insight into Kelly? I I don't have any secret insight into Kelly. I I saw the. Photos of him supposedly leaving the golf course that morning of the event, um, which maybe was a little bit suspect. But you yeah. know, I I don't doubt that he's injured and has been for a while. Yeah, and I know that the type of surfing you have to do in small waves is way more taxing and difficult as far as you know with a back thing, or you know you, you have to put a lot more mm-hmm. into your body movements in smaller waves you know in big waves you have a so much adrenaline that you'll surf through anything Mm -hmm. and b you don't have to you know while you do run the risk of getting pounded and hit the reef and all that more of like a a a hitting a injury right um you're not gonna get yeah backwash you're not gonna yeah you're not gonna twist your knee necessarily you're gonna go go down swinging yeah. where I I don't know I think in Brazil it's like if you're feeling stiff or if you're feeling like you, you you're not super quick that maybe that's that kind of fell into a reason there if he was feeling seized up stiff knowing that you know potentially going to have to be doing like four quick turns and beach yeah. break you know whereas if he's in Fiji or Tahiti, it's like drop in, grab the rail. Totally. Hope you don't keep pounded. Won the event with like a broken exactly. foot. Yeah, exactly. Know, and, you know, I know that for a guy like Kelly, for John John, for a lot of the traveling pros, you know, it's not just the trip there and staying there and, you know, it's it, you're surfing in the city, so it's really difficult to get a session to yourself right. to train and practice at the wave. There's so many fans that that's got to play a huge role in you know the the mindset you go in you have to be on guard because you know that there's going to be a thousand people Mm -hmm. trying to ask for your autograph everywhere you go yeah you know so i I feel like there's probably 10 factors that went into kelly pulling out yeah um did i want him to surf in it absolutely because you know this was supposed to be the big kelly slater comeback world title hunt and you know i feel like that kind of sadly fizzled out a little bit i have a lot to say about that uh that's I wanted, like 10 episodes you could talk well, about. Well, totally. And he released that film. Uh, it's a documentary series called Continuance. Right. So I'm going to get to that kind of at the end of the episode. But cool. it, it's a lot of it is about that. Yeah. Um, one of the storylines that did emerge that you touched on is Yago Dora. Who is Yago Dora? What's yeah. your exposure to him prior to this event? Um, I've I've hung out with him. Have this you? Far, he's a super nice kid. You know, I, I met him a couple years ago. It's, he was, you know... I wouldn't say a grommet, but just a younger dude. Well, he's 20 now, yeah. so... Yeah. At the Volcom House, um, you know, the North Shore, just part of the Volcom Pipe Pro. 
hung, hanging out with Yago and watching him free surf, and then of course watching him in all the videos, especially in uh, the Volcom video, psychic um, migrations. Psychic migrations kind of was his big coming out mm-hmm. uh, explosion. Just thinking, and then everyone I'm talking to, you know, obviously I have a bunch of friends at Volcom, and they're going, "This guy is so gnarly." We have ten more video parts worth of footage. Every session he goes out. I mean, ask Nate, Tyler, Ozzy Wright, any of these guys, and they're just going. The guy doesn't fall, and he does flips and you know five forties, big turns on every wave. Yeah, you know he he's definitely taken that um, Kalanen kind of thing of being arguably one of the world's best free surfers, and now just pretty easily applying those skills to contest surfing. Yeah. So, I mean, he's the best thing that could have ever happened to that contest because if it would have been, and not taking anything away from, you know, the legions of incredible Brazilian surfers, contest guys, but, you know, seeing Yago in that as such a free surfing wizard, Mm -hmm. doing those airs and out airing John John and Gabriel Medina, I mean, that right there is huge. And I feel like that was, again, that was the best story. And that made that contest fun. So we've seen this happen before. You mentioned Ryan Callanan. Yep. Gabriel Medina, although Gabriel's still at the top of his game. Uh, we've seen high-flying, goofy-footed Brazilians. Alex Ribeiro. Ian Gouveia is now on tour. Yep. Even Wiggly Dantes, I feel like, not high-flying, but hasn't lived up to the hype. Like, Idolo Ferrer and Wiggly had a huge rookie year. Mm-hmm. And now Idolo's injured. But it's like, we've seen these guys come and everybody's championing them as being the the next guy and yeah. then they go away is it was it is was, yago that next guy who's going to go away or is he the next gabriel um i think italo's still the next guy oh okay and i thought he was going to be world champion this year the way he started i was like italo italo fair is going to be world champion and then he got hurt and i was i mean again that's just like oh take yeah. something away because you just want to see more of him yeah and, you know, I think for Yago, it's tough to say because while this was an incredible result, if if he has one more big result where he surfs like that, then it's, you know, it's about carrying that momentum through. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he is way more fun to watch, way more entertaining um, than 99% of the other, you know, not just Brazilians, but everyone on tour. In- including the finalists of this event, I would argue. Adriana yeah. DeSouza and Ace. Yeah. Borefest, dude. I mean, when I saw the lineup of the quarterfinals, it was kind of like, all right, I know all these names. I've seen them a million times. Yeah. Um, I love watching the rookies do well. I love seeing a guy come from early rounds and just blast through people. And I, I again, I think watching... Jordy at Bell, you know, Jordy at Bell is watching Julian at, at, in Portugal, wherever it is that this is kind of like their specialty. It's, it's always cool. But then when you see all these, this, the same names, and this is why I think in the past five years, when you saw Mick, Kelly, um, Gabriel, Adriano, all four of those guys just kind of taking turns, mm-hmm. it got a little stagnant. Totally. And I don't ever want to celebrate. Uh, people's failures, but the fact that Gabriel Medina is ranked so low, 
is kind of like, ooh, this is exciting. You it know, is. this makes for a good story. Totally. Um, you know, I, I, I think having the switch up in the rankings makes just makes it more interesting. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah. So I remember seeing a couple video clips of Yago. Like, I think What Youth did a kind mm-hmm. of was one of his big champions early on. So they oh, did yeah. a couple of things. And the Volcom stuff that you saw. Um, and I would have put him on my fantasy team had I known. Like, there was, you know, after he won the trials, there's 24 hours before the event starts. Right. And I just didn't log on and change my team at that yeah, point. Yeah, that's a tough one. But I would have put him on. Um I'm going to read you just a little bit from the WSL's website. They did an article with him last year, and they said, The Dora name isn't new to professional surfing circuits. Yago's dad, Leandro Dora, is a former pro surfer himself and currently spends time coaching some of the world's top Brazilians, including Adriana de Souza. For Yago, though, his surfing start came relatively late. He started surfing when he was 11 years old. Yeah, that's which, late. That's late. And you said you <laughs> met him a couple years ago. So it was like... Between 11 and, what, 17, he became this yeah. phenom, which is insane to yeah. me, you know? But it's undeniable. Like, his talent, it's just raw talent, the way John John oozes raw talent, you know? Um, one thing I'm concerned about for him is his last name is Dora. Can you replace Mickey Dora? Like, there can only be one Dora, I as know. far as I'm That's concerned. That's a tough one. Well, I think, uh, you know, everyone mostly calls him Yago, so he can, be, oh, he can okay. keep the Yago name. Yeah, the, you know. I think he goes like Madonna and ditches the last name just and just Yaga. sticks Yago. Yeah. Because there can only be one Dora, and I don't know if you're going to dethrone me. Yeah, they're Dora. <laughs> like, if you want your kid to be a pro surfer, you can't name him Kelly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or Dane, even. What about Slater? Can you name him Slater? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe you could get away with that. See, I feel bad for Dane Godowskis. 
Because I'm just like, dude, you're always going to be the second Dane, unfortunately, because there's <laughs> Dane Reynolds out there. You know, like, yeah, you could, you have a different stance, so that makes you different. Well, somebody say, oh, see that barrel Dane got? And you're all, which, which Dane? There's only one. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I was named after David Lee Roth. Oh, that's tight. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, I did not know that, but well, that is awesome. Know. Yeah. So I've always kind of, in my mind, had that goal, which is like, I'm going to rewire our entire collective consciousness so when you hear the name David Lee in the future, you won't think about David Lee Roth. Right. Like, our grandchildren will be like, David Lee? Oh, that podcaster? That's the podcaster That's the podcast guy. guy. Forget about the high kick and the spandex. Yeah. I'm all about podcasting. You could do kind of uh, verbal high kicks. That's exactly Big words. what I'm planning to do. Yeah, intonations. <laughs> yes. So, um, what other... I obviously have... I sent you a couple of ideas on notes in terms of storylines that emerged. Did you have any storylines that you wanted to talk about or anything that stood out about I, the event? I think something you had mentioned, um, Adriana de Souza, and when uh, I, again, I watched parts of the final, and I honestly, my favorite part was when he was riding out on the jet ski and hyping the crowd up. Yeah. I love that. Are you not entertained? Yeah. And I'm it's like a gladiator, dude. I think claims are like, I don't know, Rush, the band Rush. You yeah. either love them or hate them. Yeah. I love claims. And I, I mean, I think it's I think it's so rad to watch Adriano in his element like that. Hyping the crowd up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, claiming a, a, a six or whatever, that's kind of redundant and doesn't need to happen or double claims on a wave like doing an air claiming and then keep going and claiming right. again but i loved the crowd element of riding by the jet ski waving his arms yeah because when you see that in a basketball game or you know in a football game when somebody on the defense is, is waving like come on bring the noise bring the crowd yeah you know it 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 fires you up even when you're home watching and that to me was the coolest part of that contest i and that totally got him agree the win. I totally agree. I think, though, context absolutely matters. If you just didn't see the crowd on the beach, didn't know they were in Brazil, and you watched Adriano surf that wave and then party that hard, you'd be like, what? Yeah. That guy's a, an idiot. But context matters. So I think that the claim, even if it is a six, let's say you needed a 5'8", and you sincerely believe that you got the six, and you're celebrating... That is okay in my mind. But if you need an eight, you got a six, and now you're claiming to try to convince the judges that it is an eight, that's not cool. That's celebrating, S-E-L-L. That's exactly right. And That was a verbal high kick right yeah, there. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I feel like that is waning as far as effectiveness. I agree. The judges um, aren't fooled. They're not fooled. No. I think they... They had a couple times uh, over the past couple years that they leaned a little heavy on a couple scores because of a claim. Yeah. Maybe kind of like um, the, at the end of a trick, you know, fireworks come out and you go, oh, wow, that was cool. But right. the fireworks made it cool. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I feel like they've, you know, I feel like the judges get so much heat, but I feel, you know, the, the right guy always wins. And they get no celebration for doing their job correct ever. Yeah. They only get negative feedback. I don't I don't think a surfer has ever gone up to the judge and gone, Hey, 
thank you for that three five on my second wave. You know that really gave me the momentum I needed to. You know, yeah. They're only going to have people throwing rocks and storming the tower. Totally. Not storming the tower with uh, congratulations. No. Or thanks. What about a storm the tower and give the head judge a hug? Box of right? chocolates is what I was thinking. That's what I'm saying. By mistake. <laughs> so, undeniably, Adriana de Souza and Ace Bucken are workhorse surfers. And, like, if you're talking about the judging criteria, they surf to the judges' criteria and they deserved to be in that final undeniable and like their tactical prowess in heats is top notch i'm going to give you my complaint about adriano i'll start by saying i love him i love his work ethic and i actually a couple years ago was watching him surf an event and he was like like in this event he beached a couple of waves he surfs onto the whitewash starts foam climbing the whitewash and then beaches it and it's like There's no added value in that, probably. But I went surfing, and I started doing it just when I normally wouldn't do it. And it was fun. I had a blast. Yeah, it's fun when you try. Totally. It's fun to try. And so I kind of like, I admire the work ethic, and I will start my rant by saying that. Rant it up. But is he even having any fun with what he's doing? I love his humility in his post-heat interviews. He's always thanking everybody and uh, uh, putting the congratulations on people who helped get him to the spot. But the guy seems to have an... I don't think he's having fun, but I think he has a bigger agenda than fun. I think his agenda is even bigger than winning events or world titles. I think he's kind of got some Napoleon complex mixed with coming from the favelas that creates this grind in you. So he's trying to prove it in two different respects. Right. You know, and I think that that underlying desire to overcome um, shows, but I don't think he realizes there's like no challenges left to overcome. Like he's still grinding it out, trying to prove it to everybody. And it's like, you've already got the world title, dude. Like relax a little bit, start to have fun. And I think that um, his clawing over his perceived obstacles just kind of comes at the expense of having fun or enjoyment. And, that shows in his surfing. It's the opposite of watching Mason Ho surf. Right. You watch Mason Ho surf and you just know that he's having a blast and there's no other agenda. So I think Adriano, like people often kind of talk about his bad style, but I really don't think that is like his technique is super sound and super solid. I think that he's just so focused on accumulating points that there's zero room left in his surfing for improv, improv, right. you know, and that's what's painfully overlooked, I think, in surfing and even in the judging criteria is that improv element. And um, he's not leaving any room for that. And like jazz takes place between the notes. Right. And comedy gets its humor from precise timing, you know, the dead air. And that was what was so remarkable about watching John John Florence at Margaret River was that he improvised and surfed what we thought was a boring wave in a way that we had never seen it surfed before. Yeah. And he did flips in the free surf that we see on Instagram. We're like, oh my God, he's going to go into his next heat and then do a flip. But he ends up going into his next heat and drawing Winning brand cars, new yeah. lines that we've never even seen before. Like the way that he was turning on the wave, we've never seen it before. So his ability to improvise, I think, is reflective of him just having fun and understanding that the judges, more than ticking boxes in the judging criteria, 
the judges are surfers at heart and they want to be blown away by experiencing um, boundaries being pushed. Yeah. You know, and I'm concerned that with Adriana DeSouza and Ace Buck in final, we get exactly what we expect of them. Yeah. We'll never get John John's improv and jazz. Well, that's why Adriana needs to make a video part. You know, show us that he's capable of having fun. I don't know. If Would he you is. even watch it? I've learned to love aspects of Adriano's surfing. Um, his bottom turn is probably one of the top three best on, in the world yeah. of anyone. Yeah. And, you know, technically speaking, that is for me a joy to watch him ripping into a bottom turn, even on like a three foot wave at lowers. Um, I agree. Certain elements of his turns, I, I think his style is as good, if not better, than Gabriel Medina's. Um, and it's weird because I'm a total style fan. You know, I, I think Parko's the most just beautiful surfer to watch. And I, I wish I could surf like that. But there are certain styles where technically, you know, is that a good style? I mean, we had this thing in Transworld with Ozzy Wright. You know, we made, we set out to make him a hero and people were going, dude, this guy has the worst style. He's this, he's that. What are you doing? And we're going, what are you talking? We This is... This is anti-style. And I almost think that's what Adriano is, just anti-style. And he's so unapologetic in his love of winning. And he, he, that's how he gets his fun. Yeah. He's having fun because he won. He's not winning because he's having fun. Um, So, and and the fact that he's kind of like, there's no, you know, pretense about it. He doesn't have to turn it on or off or interviews and stuff it's mm-hmm. just always on yeah you know and his emotion and i don't know i, I love him because he's just so true to himself and for the persona that i guess he's developed yeah because you see it sometimes with with other guys and they're super uncomfortable in their post interviews and they're kind of just saying what they think gabriel the, yeah that they think that people want to hear or you know I, I love when people are fired up yeah post interviews and you know Adriano's a freak and he's not ashamed to like act like himself I honestly hate to admit but he's won my heart over like absolutely I'm endeared to him as well I was not a fan right five years ago yeah the more I watched him the more I watched him in QS events in CT events in big waves small waves whatever and his antics paddling around paddling Mm -hmm. over people's feet um you know his rivalry with Kelly I'm going, I kind of like this dude because yeah. he does not care. He does not care what you think about him. Totally. All he wants to do is pile out and win heat and he will surf. He'll, you've never seen him like give up a heat. He's comboed. He'll still just fight and fight and fight, which, yes, if you were on tour, he would be the worst dude ever to surf against totally. in any heat anywhere in the world. Yeah. But I think as a fan, you know, I, I think of... I kind of think of like Gabriel Medina as, you know, the bad guy. I used to think of Adriano as the bad guy. Yeah. But now I kind of think of him as the good guy. It's funny. You know, and now and there's like five or six other people that are kind of somewhere in between, hovering between the gray and evil. still. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and you know what? Gabriel Medina is a sweet person. And I've talked to people that know him personally and have hung out with him. And they're like, he's the nicest guy. Really? Connor Coppin was Connor Coppin was on a trip with him. He's like, I love Gabriel. He's so nice, so hmm. sweet. But I think his outer persona, and the way he carries himself and, and cries after losing heat and complains, 
it's just really hard to like as far as what you see of him in yeah. the contests. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. I think he, obviously he's one of the best ever to do it, but totally. style-wise, yeah. am I, I a fan? He almost Not is really. void of style. Like, I wouldn't even... I Yeah. I can't, you know... It's not horrible, but it's not good. It's just... Yeah. Blah. And it's, it's relative, neutral. you know? It's like, I hear people complain about John John's style and going, what? Are you kidding me? Those people me? are tripping. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so... I, and, I, and I hear people get, people get mad anytime I've said anything about Gabriel's style. They get mad, and I'm like, well, this is... First of all, this is my opinion. Yeah. And style is all a matter of personal opinion. Totally. But second of all, I mean, I could point out the exact things that bother me. Mm-hmm. Would I like Um, to surf like that? Yes, of course. Of course. Oh, I want to do an air like that. Would I surf like Parco? Yes. Totally. So I do think in our acceptance and endearment to Adriana de Souza, some of that is due to I think he's become more humble. I think he has a humility nowadays that I don't remember him having previously. And like I said, those post-heat interviews, dude, the guy just like – when was it? He did it in this event too, but there was one a year or two ago where he was like – he won the event, and the entire winning speech was just like, "Dude, I just Kel- I'm such a huge fan of Kelly Slater. Like, yeah. I wouldn't have got here without him." And then I was staying at Jamie O'Brien's house for the Pipe Masters, maybe it was, and he was just like, "Jamie, I owe all of this to Jamie. Yeah. Jamie's the man for doing this for me." And like, he didn't talk about himself at all, you know. And I'm like, and he's crying about it too. So yeah. it's like it couldn't be more sincere. I, I'm right. I, I think that's I'm right there with you for yeah. those reasons. You know, yeah. it seemed like he used to be kind of a dick. Yeah. And he's matured to the point of where you're going, whoa, I like this guy. Yeah. And I like, honestly, every guy on tour and girl is super likable. They're all nice people in their own ways. But when you kind of look at them through the lens of the, you know, it's hard to talk crap about them, especially like on the pod, or on yeah. the webcast and everything, because it's, I mean, they're all nice people and you kind of wish somebody would come out and just be the guy be the bad guy yeah Gabriel's close to being the bad guy he needs to embrace it but then every once in a while he does something super cool and you're going ah you know like his a post he just put up about his little sister I love my little you know it was a picture of him and his little sister and he's like I love this this lady you know whatever he said love my little sister so much and I remember when he won Fiji when I was there he's in the airport he's looking at Julia I'm like oh Gabriel's buying another gold chain and I go over there and he's like buying a necklace for his little sister. Wow. I'm like, wow, now I'm the dick. Right. <laughs> for my uh, pre-judgment. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I don't want to have you like talk crap on the WSL right now. But like in my experience as the viewer, the Red Bull events are the standard, the gold standard from production quality and commentary quality and all of it. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on the WSL and their limitations, ways that they can improve. I felt like this event from a production standpoint was second rate. Like there's a bunch of commentators that we're not familiar with. And, um, and I'm okay with that. They're not good or bad. It's just, there's a learning curve and an acceptance curve as the viewer when there's the second string is playing, you yeah. know, and the second string isn't again a qualitative thing. It's just they're not the main guys, and there was also like camera angles that were being missed. Like they're watching a guy and then they pan away, and they didn't get the rest of the wave even, which hasn't happened since 
10 years ago when I was watching surfing online, you know? So there was just an over amount of drone shots that were unnecessary where the drone looks rad at cloud break or something, but there was just like tons of drone footage. So anyway, what are your thoughts on the commentary for the WSL and and the production stamp quality? You know, I, I watched snapper rocks, for example, and I said, this is the best show I've ever seen from the WSL. And I texted that to them and I was going, this is so rad. You guys are killing it. Um, you know, I thought that the the drug aware Margaret River Pro was, you know, the the you know the advertisements. Barton Lynch, there were so many good yeah. elements there. Um, Barton's great. bells. The there's you know again like you feel like you're there, right? Right. And then Brazil, I agree with you. Produ- uh, production quality wise, um, there was a, a drop off. You know, commentator wise, I'm super down with everybody they picked you know and and i i think it was more of the look of it you know it just didn't it didn't have that spectacular gloss and sheen that they kind of started with and i think that's just obviously because when they go around the world they they're taking they have a a a unit that they take everywhere as kind of i guess the management and then they have to use um people from the certain places, the stops, right? Um, so that might have been something, and I, I, maybe it's the, the setup, the beach just wasn't conducive, you know? It's like, I, I always like to see um, setup shots as far as where am I? Give yeah, me context as to where I am. Um, you know, when you're in Fiji, when you're in Tahiti, you see the island you see all this stuff and you know you just feel like you're there i didn't feel like i was in brazil right um which is kind of a a a weird way to put it it's like i felt like i was at those other stops right i just didn't really feel like i was there i think again there was moments but they didn't they didn't go to the commentators enough they didn't Mm -hmm. go to the the beach enough and maybe i didn't watch enough but it's just they the, I guess it they it looked like seventy five percent to me when I, they started at one hundred percent. I think it's going to come back. Yeah, but um, yeah, are, I just don't think. Are they having a problem with commentator like retention? Like, why isn't Ronnie Blakey there? I know Joe Turpel's had some uh, family thing that's kept him out of the booth, but and hopefully he'll be back. But it's like, where's? Where's Ronnie Blakey? Where are the stars? Where's the yeah? Where's the guys that we're used to? Why why yeah. don't they go to every event? And I know I think last year Potter, Martin Potter missed Brazil. Yeah. Um, there's always somebody missing something, and I don't know if it's their own personal life that's getting in the way. But it'd be nice to see the guys show up at every event. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, that's a a, a big reason why you know I I can't do as many WSL events as I'd like to because it's it's ten months of the year. You know, and for a guy like Ronnie or Strider or, you know, Ross Williams with, with kids, little kids, it's like, you're gone. I mean, Strider and, and Ross both do a great job of bringing their kids along, which, I mean, that's better than being at home with them, you know, because sure. you're really there. But it's, dude, it's a grind. It's long events. And for, you know, for Ronnie, for example, coming from Australia, I mean, that is a mission. And I think it's uh, it's kind of like the uh, the surfers or maybe the surfers in a way to where they kind of would say my my 
situation with the WSL is, is way different than, than a lot of these guys, but maybe they say, look, we need you for six of the eight events. Which okay. ones do you want to do? Got it. And which ones would you want to do? Tahiti, Fiji, Lowers. Hawaii. Hawaii. You know, and it, I think for for certain people, you know, like for Kaipo, for example, is he's kind of fresh into the mix and yeah. he's fired up. He'll do anything all the time, anytime. Yeah. You know, and that, and you can hear that in his totally. commentary. And, you know, I, I think for, for Brazil especially, it's like previous years, I mean, you had eight of the world's best surfers not going. Right. And so that, I guess that would kind of translate to the commentary, but, you know, right. I feel like they, I feel like the show, the, you know, when you're listening, it's, it's as good as ever, but just watching, you know, you, and I think that what a big part of it was the Red Bull production of the Vulcan Pipe Pro set a benchmark. Totally. And obviously you saw the transition from the WSL going from the desk to the set style, which just, you know, kind of looks, I don't know, more homey and casual. And I think they, they kind of drew that a lot from the Vulcan Pipe Pro, mm-hmm. which is good. You have to be able to react and you yeah. know a, a, adapt. Yeah. But I think I guess the, the main point was, yeah, it's this is not the level that we have come to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of the things that most that could have fixed it? More cameras, better angles, yeah, better waves. Which they well, I, I mean, honestly. The more we discuss it, the more I'm committed in my mind. We need to throw it out. Throw Brazil out, dude. Yeah. People aren't showing up. The commentators aren't showing up. The surfers aren't showing up. Nobody's motivated to do their job. It's just a confluence of all of that. Yeah. That justifies, you know, throwing it out. I mean, yeah. I mean, Ditch it. They have a they have a great QS tour down yeah. there already, and they get just as many people on the beach. Yep. You know, it is something to be said that they Brazil has that many surfers on the world championship tour that they deserve a spot there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it, it kind of, it's, it happens in a lot of sports, you know, Sochi Olympics was an example that, you know, if, if you were talking about conditions, right. And I think this has happened at previous Olympics where it's just, the snow wasn't good. Right. right? But it's kind of like make the most of it. Yeah. Do what they can. Yeah. And it, people just have to deal with it. And I think that's kind of a, a similar thing for, you know, for the U.S. Open, for Brazil, it's like figure out a way to make this show. You know, I want to feel like I learned about Sakurama and I know like what the people on the beach are like. I know it was crazy and it was going off, but I just want more. And that's not a slight off the commentators or the surfers. Just you know, it's like I guess just a, it's it's tough to invest that much time and money into making these shows each like a well sports spectacular i say all of this criticism well knowing that the wsl has a business model that they have to run and sure if they could pay the announcers a million dollars each they would show up to every event yeah you know but they can't do that and so there are going to be limitations so i criticize with love and with being a fan and and knowing (laughs) yeah exactly with like um do you watch did you watch the women's event Touchy subject here um, on the pod always. I watched uh, I watched some of it, and I said it on my podcast that I think the women got the best waves. You know, as far as looking fun, I think the the best waves were the final day. 
Yeah. You know, that the swell hit and it, it kind of became more of what we expected and wanted to see. Um, you know, I, I love women surfing, but when I, again, when I'm picking and choosing, I, I only watch five or six heats, mm-hmm. you know, five or six of the matchups, let's say like per round. Yeah. And I watch, I watch, I love watching Steph, Steph's heats, you know, so there's, again, there's a handful of girls that I'll watch on the heat analyzer. Um, I love when it comes down to it, when it's the world titles on the line. Yeah. That's, it's just like college basketball or something where, you know, through the year you catch a game or two and you're going, oh, this is cool. But then when things really start to kind of get down to the wire, you get more excited about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'll i tell you one. Uh, so, by the way, Tyler uh, Tyler Wright beat Joanne DeFay in the women's right. final for the women's event. So that's worth noting. And Tyler Wright looks primed for another world champ, world champion, yeah. world title. Um, and her brother Owen Wright looks primed for another that, for a world title. Owen Insane, and, you know, brother and sister, all right title, right? All right, it's all. I, I right. like. Let's put it this way: I love watching women surf at um, bells, at uh, lowers. Um, Honolulu, Honolulu is always a, a pleasure. It's a highlight event. Yeah, um, I watch some of the heats at. Um, Margaret River. Mm-hmm. I know a big open face where you can watch Carissa Moore do these big carves and throw Court- tons of spray. Courtney at me for me at Margs is yeah always exciting. I get I get psyched to watch the girls surf lowers. I mean to me yeah. that is like the best venue for the women. Yeah, I agree. So I was going to tell you Sage Erickson has won my heart as well, much in the way that Adriano did over the course of years. I used to cringe watching her try to compete on the world tour at the same level that Carissa was at and stuff. There was such disparity mm-hmm. more than uh, whoever won the world title on the men's event that year. Let's say Kelly Slater and Kai Otten. Right. There wasn't as big of a disparity between them as there was between Carissa Moore and Sage Erickson. It was brutal. Yeah. She fell off tour. She trained, she requalified. And I think right now she's still an inferior surfer to the world title contenders, but she's building on her strengths and her competitive prowess and her confidence, I think, has really skyrocketed. And her results are reflecting it now. She beat um, Carissa Moore in round one. She beat Tyler Wright in a non-elimination round and eventually lost to her. So she's beating the world title contenders. And she's ripping. Yeah. And it's like to see her fall off tour back in the day, I was like, well, that's not a big surprise. But then I watched on Instagram, she's posting little clips here and there over the last two years. And then she won a couple QS events and I watched those and I'm like, you know what? She's getting her act together. I appreciate the hard work ethic. And now she's back on tour and she's ripping. Yeah. So I think that has to do with, you know, physical training. Yeah. And then mental training, thinking that or knowing that she's, I don't think in the past she thought she deserved to be there, maybe. Sure. And, uh, and now there's probably just more belief. Yeah. You know, I've seen Coco Ho go through the same thing. You've seen a lot of the, a lot of surfers on both sides go through that thing of, it, should I even be here? You know? And, totally. And once they kind of realize, you know, I, I feel like Sage has all the skills that to be a top five surfer. Yeah. You know, and given the right wave and given the right fire when she goes out in the heat, she can, she can do it. She show that now. See, I feel like there's surfers like Yago and John John that are just natural Gabriel natural talents. Yeah, like you can't impede them winning an event or getting results. I feel like Sage has had to work for it. 
Yeah. You know, like she didn't necessarily have it right out of the gate, but she had to work for it. And I really enjoy watching that as well. Yeah. It's fun to watch somebody get better visibly too quickly. I can relate to it. Like I didn't, I don't have natural ability on a surfboard. Like I have to work at it, you know? And so I don't know, there's something relatable about it. Um, couple of other musings about the event. How disappointing is Julian Wilson as a competitor? I, I mean, you watch his video parts and you're going, yes, can't wait to see this. And then I think he, he's like a few other guys on tour where he's surfing, changing his surfing for the contest. Kersey is the same way. I mean, I love watching these guys surf and I want to see them do crazy airs and, and I don't know, again, have more fun. Yeah. And I feel like they are, they kind of change, they switch on to contest mode. You know, I want more. I want that. He he has flair factor. Stunning good looks, flawless style and technique. Undoubtedly, one of the best servers in the world. Like undoubtedly. Yet he consistently gets poor results. Yeah, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. And like you said, that wayward edit that came out right before the beginning of Snapper. Crazy dude. I was like, he's gonna smoke John John this year. Like he's insane. And then he just. Round three exits nonstop. I think when you, if you fall on it in a critical moment doing an error or something, you, your immediate backup plan is like, oh, just start turning, just start turning. Or if you watch, right, right, and Adriano or you know Wiggly, whoever gets a seven or an eight just by doing five turns to the yeah. beach, it's you know you, you you kind of tighten up and probably think, uh, you know, I gotta surf like everybody else, right. Where we don't want to watch them serve like everybody else. We want to watch no. them serve like themselves. Exactly. Surf like you do in your video part. That's what John John's great at. You know? Yeah, there's no difference between how he surfs in the contest of where, no. where he, how he surfs in front of his house, even when there's no camera on him. Right. You know, it's that's and that's what I think everybody wants to see. So John John actually didn't have Ross with him in Brazil, this uh, his coach Ross Williams in Brazil with him. Uh, and he also got the worst result that he's had this year. Is that a coincidence? He's going to dock his pay. (laughs) (laughs) He gets paid hourly. I I, I expected John John to just blitz everyone every time after watching him at the first three events. Mm -hmm. And a former winner in Rio. And I I mean, that was kind of baffling. So is it related to Ross not being there is the question. I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't really know much about their relationship because – you know, the most time I spend with Ross is probably a triple crown or, you know, lowers when we commentated together. And it was, he's fully focused on that task at hand, right? And his insight into what could, somebody could have done better and all that is, is second to none. So when I heard that he was going to be John John's coach, I was going, this is going to be really interesting because I'm sure he hears this all the time. How do you make John John better? Right. And it's about making him a better competitor. And I don't know. I, I, I wonder, and it would be really cool to kind of sit those two guys down and go, okay, so what did he tell you here? Mm-hmm. And what did you not hear here that was the difference? Or was it just a fluke? Mm-hmm. You know? And it seemed like a flukish kind of heat. And that takes nothing away from Yago's performance. But the fact that I don't even remember one of the things that John did. He might have done an alley-oop, kind of recall something, but I could tell you every single wave he surfed at Snapper, uh, at Bells, at Margaret's, um, but I can't really tell you 
any memorable moments from it's true. him in Brazil, which you you would think a wave like that, and I feel like everybody, the, the, the underlying thing here is those waves were really hard to surf. If John John's having trouble doing airs, you know, it's crazy that Iago wasn't. Right. But that just shows you how hard those waves were to surf. So I think that the value of coaching in surfing is proven at this point, especially with Glenn Hall's success in recent years. Yeah. But I still question it for some reason, you know, where it's like, obviously, uh, Ross isn't giving John John coach uh, technique tips. Like air tips. Right. Exactly. It's probably the opposite. I've seen Ross actually posting a couple clips of trying to do airs. Um, but it, it, I do want to know exactly what you're asking. And I actually, I'm going to reach out to Ross, Glenn, Galley when they come into town for the lowers event to get them on the podcast. Just yeah. to be like, dude, let's break what this do down. What say? Yeah. Tell me, let's do this like therapy session. Fully let me know what's going on, the inner workings there in the relationship. Yeah, Um, I I have a feeling it has nothing to do with surfing. I have a feeling it's like brain brain waves. It's like getting like sports therapy. You know, like here, let me just help you clear your mind so that you your body goes into muscle memory. Yeah, you know, like I I don't really golf, but it's like you learn the swing. And then you address the ball and forget everything you know and just let that muscle memory take over, basically. Because yeah. if you're thinking about the mechanics of the swing, you're going to shank it. Yeah, and I, I feel like there's a lot that goes into the, you know, all these surfers for their whole lives that people are blowing smoke up their ass saying yeah. they're the best, you're the best, you're the greatest, you're going to win. Where when you have a coach that you respect that surfs that good, all those guys you mentioned are ripping surfers. That any three of those guys could probably still win a QS, maybe even be on the on the world tour, right? Right. Um, if you have a guy like that that goes, look, in your practice sessions, you were leaning too hard on your, well, you know, on your bottom turns, or you you seemed like you were trying to project too hard, whatever it would be. You kind of pair that with, look, go out there and do not take. Do not overamp. Do not take that first wave. Get stay patient. You know it's it's probably some tactical training. Yeah, and also just that calming factor of like you have someone in your corner that's not your wife or your sponsor or whatever. It's or your someone, dad. Yeah, or your dad. It's just someone that's there to to get you mentally prepared, and you know you can kind of like lean on for, I guess, just that that having that backup. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I, I think that is what it is as well. Um, the outer known Fiji Pro, outer known Fiji Pro. The men's event starts June fourth. The women's event starts May twenty eighth. Which, by the way, I love when they stagger the events yeah. so that they're not cutting into each other's swell window. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I, I prefer that. I agree. Uh, I know it's probably a logistics thing is the reason why they don't do it all the time, but um, that event's coming up. I want to get your uh, event pick for the men and women, and then I want to get your dark horse pick for the men and the okay. women as well. Women is going to be... Uh, let's start with dark horses. Okay. Can I start with dark horses? Whatever you want. Dark horse women's pick, uh, Tatiana Weston-Webb. Oh! I forgot about her. She's radical. She hasn't... She She's due for a big one. She's um, fully capable, and like, again, started off so strong when she was a rookie... And now is kind of fallen by the wayside. Yeah. You're right. That's a great pick. Dark. I guess you could put this guy in a dark horse position, but uh, Kelly Slater. 
for your Dark Horse event. I don't events. know if I'm going to let that happen. Is that can't be a Dark <laughs> he's Horse? He's won the event a bunch of times. Oh. I mean, he's like, he's low on the rankings now, but I don't think anybody would ever call Kelly a Dark Horse at a barreling left such reef like break. like a cop-out. Okay. Give me a proper Dark, dark Horse. Dark Horse pick. And, man, this is something that I usually, like, agonize over. Dark Horse pick to win the Outer Gnome. Fiji Pro is. Um, you know I could throw that. I could throw this one out there. I, I'm gonna say Connor Coffin's my dark horse pick. I like it. to win, and not just because he's been a boatman and spent time there, but because I don't know something about his surfing has gotten even better. Even though his results, I mean, he's sitting right now at twentieth. Some you know his results have slipped yeah. since the first couple of events. But I just feel like he's on the road to a good one, and I think Fiji's going to be the venue for that. I thought about putting his, him as my Dark Horse pick because there's an inkling that I have as well that I'm having a hard time articulating, and I think it was last year. Maybe he got an interference. I seem to remember him like rolling in on the whitewash that like covered his face, and so he didn't see that Wiggly had stood up or something like that, Yeah, and he got an interference and got kicked out, but... Oh yeah, he yeah, was yeah. ripping prior to yeah. that, and I remember thinking like, I only think of him as surfing Rincon. I didn't know that he's got like backside barrel prowess. Oh yeah, I had I just right when you asked that, I had a vision in my mind of a big blue barrel with him grabbing his rail, coming out of the barrel and like doing his little hair flip into a bottom turn, and he's got one of the stickest backhand hooks there is. So yeah. those are my two dark horse picks to let, win. Let me give you my dark horse. Okay, I give me yours. Okay, Laura Enover. For okay. the women's side good one. of things. Good one. Because I'll be honest. We're hoping the way it's going to be big. I right. Exactly. Yeah. I'll be honest. She hasn't been that impressive uh, in recent years competitively. But she seems to thrive in big waves. Yeah. And when Cloudbreak was big a year or two ago for the women's, she made like quarters or semis and actually posted a couple of nines with like three backside like hammers. So... And she surfed the Jaws event this year. I think she's more comfortable in big waves than a yeah. lot of the other women. So she's my dark horse pick. My men's dark horse, I was going to go Joan DeRue, but I think I think Cloudbreak requires a lot of experience. Yeah. And I don't th- know that he's ever been there. Like He did QS for 10 years, and that doesn't go there. So if you'll allow it, I'm thinking Josh Kerr. Good one. Is that a dark horse? I... Yes, it is. Okay. And you're going to be glad to know that I will have an interview with Josh Kerr on Monday Mass on Monday. Perfect. And he's going to make you feel good about that pick. Really? Yes. He's psyched? Yes. Okay. I think he has had a brutal first half of the year. Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's sad. I told him, I go, dude, I've been yelling at my screen, yelling at you. What's up? And he's just saying, like, you know, he's been surfing super good in free surfs and that somehow when he puts the jersey on, he's just out of it. But he's blowing. He's it. bouncing back. Okay, I know he's bouncing back. He he was a little. He got a spark. Okay, in Rio, and I think it's gonna come. He's gonna come in hot to Fiji. My it's only good, good pick. My only exposure to him is through Instagram, and I could see how um, crestfallen he was with the first few events of the year. And he even stated something about, "Hey, I'm going into Rio. Got my headset." straight and like some new boards I'm psyched on. I'm really going to do well at Rio. And he did better at Rio than he did in previous events this year. And so I felt like that was a stepping stone to where he's going to go. And I think that he's super underrated barrel rider. 
Oh, yeah. I think he's just like an unbelievable barrel rider. And when he lost to Ian Gouveia, I was going, what? Where did he lose to Snapper, Ian? I, th- I think oh, he that did? was... He was surfing against uh, a rookie who was not surfing well, and literally, if he would have surfed at Josh Kerb, 30%, he would have won this heat. Yeah. And that was, I was that was the most just shocking Kerr moment. So yeah. I'm with you. I think he, this is going to be a good one for Josh. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm claiming... I mean, obviously, I'm claiming him to win, but at least... Semi-final finish. Cool. Um, do you know what boards he's going to be riding? I know I he's... Don't. Okay. But I know he's, he's going to go test about 50 different boards in the next week. So. Jeez Louise. He'll have uh, some gems. Hate to see that board bag expense for yeah. 50 boards. Okay. Uh, event win. Who's your go-to pick? Men's um, and women's. For women's, my go-to pick is going to be... I'm going to say Carissa. Okay. Yeah, and I I don't base that on anything, but she's that good. I mean, I love her. I, I would say you could put her and Tyler. Um, oh no, I'm changing it. Sally Fitzgibbons. That's my pick. Okay. Yeah. Two time winner. Yeah, I'm changing it to Sally Fitzgibbons. Yeah. That's kind of like a lock. Okay. Yeah. So that's both of our picks. Totally. Okay. And I think that she's also had lackluster performances outside of Cloud Break, and so she's started to remount her campaign the last couple of events. So I feel like all that momentum is going into this event where she's a two-time champ at yeah and if cool. you remember she won that event with a busted eardrum oh yeah a year or two ago. that was the best Crazy. that was the best she's, she's gnarly best. um men's own right me too okay <laughs> high five yeah dude hey there you go i support your great picks. minds think alike i couldn't agree more i mean i this is i feel like this is own rights event to lose totally he's he's on fire you just see that and again if it's Six to eight feet. It's going to be so fun to watch Owen because he's so comfortable in waves like that. Uh, he got four tens out there two years ago. Exactly. Two perfect heats. Yep. And honestly, I don't think I've ever seen that spot surfed better. Like that—that that was flawless yeah. surfing. Yeah, I agree. So that covers us for the WSL stuff. I wanted to give a quick little review of. Actually, not so quick review of Kelly Slater's Continuance documentary series. Yeah. Uh, it dropped two weeks ago, but there's a couple things about it that have just been killing me that I want to discuss. So I've got this whole spiel. You want to sit in for it? Sure. I want to get your thoughts on it, too. Did you actually watch it? I watched it beginning to end. 15 minutes. Huge yeah. commitment nowadays. Yeah, right? <laughs> what did you think? Did you like it? I liked it. Okay. So... You obviously say you say whatever you want. I liked it. I yeah. thought it was candid. I thought my favorite thing is when Kelly said, "You know, everyone's going to have a fucking opinion." Um, I was like, "Yes, finally!" And I, I told Daniel Thompson, Tomo, I told him that. I go, "That's the best part of that whole thing." Yeah. Um, why? Why do you like that? I just thought it was it was you know P- Kelly gets so much heat for surfboards and the surfboard selection like. You're going to tell a guy what to ride, you yeah. know, and you're going to tell Kelly Slater that yeah. what board he should ride, you know? So, I, don't so know. I just thought that was kind of cool. What I picked up from him saying that was, he goes, first of all, he was upset by it. He's like, everybody's got an effing opinion. And the fact that he showed emotion about the internet uh, yeah. having a criticism made me actually surprised. Like, I didn't oh, know that Kelly... super he rattled by the internet funny by instagram by twitter he's really involved and so i liked that about him but what i also got out of it was what he was saying was um 
they all want to just criticize. Nobody wants to say the good. So what they could say is, hey, that board um, looked too slow, but I liked the amount of spray that it threw or something like that was what I felt like he was saying. Um, So, yeah, I noticed that part too. Yeah. Uh, I talk about that in my review. I'm just going to kind of read it because I wrote it out um, and I cover some of that. So, uh, anyways, Continuance is a documentary series directed and produced by Alec Parker, who I mistakenly read as Alex Parker, the former pro. Remember Alex Parker? I think he was an East Coast guy or something. I thought that's who it was. I'm like, oh, he's. And he works in that field as well. Oh, does he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well, this is not him. This is Alec Parker. And it's sponsored by Kelly's entire portfolio of brands. Credited in the video are Outer Known, Firewire, and Kelly Slater Wave Co. Uh, part one is 15-minute video piece. It was released two weeks ago. The release of part two has not yet been announced. The piece opens with Kelly Slater stating, quote, Sometimes you need to clarify and define something to state your intentions. I want to win a world title this year. I'm going to give it everything I got. There's been a lot of talk about me retiring, and I don't have to give an answer to that. End quote. So the film is centered around the Quicksilver Pro event and shows Kelly progressing through the event, shows his downtime with his girlfriend Kalani Miller going to the zoo, shows him in the shaping bay with Tomo, shows him darting off on a quick strike mission prior to the event. It's punctuated um, with these a series of these confessional-style interviews with Kelly discussing his intentions, his struggles, and it's actually really heartwarmingly candid, I thought. Like, it right. didn't feel scripted. So I get the feeling immediately from watching this and because of Kelly's opening quote that Kelly is using this documentary series to guide the narrative of what's going on in his life with his career. Speculation about retirement, his frayed focus, uh, his lack of commitment to a 12th world title have run rife. And when he comments publicly about those things, the media often takes his very brief comment and spin it into an opinion piece whose overall sentiment is often very different than what he originally intended to convey. So I'm as guilty of that as anyone. And in fact, in this film review, I may be doing exactly that. (laughs) I'll be attempting doing what he doesn't want you to. I'm attempting to read between the lines and analyze what Kelly is not saying in the piece, you know, and perhaps even worse, I might be trying to psychoanalyze what Kelly's words and actions secretly reveal about his intention without him even knowing it. But the reality is, that's why we watch. That's why we follow. That's why we read every post is because we want to read in and find out some detail about Kelly that he's not saying. So again, it seems that with this series, Kelly is trying to wrench that conversation back into his control. And it seems like while he can't control the commentary of the internet, he can be honest, he can wear his heart on his sleeve, and he can at least have control over his own content. That's my first impression. That's He's my impression. Pre-answering yeah. your questions, um, preloading, uh, preloading um, content for the haters. I, I feel like and for the fans. I feel like that's what his attempt is with this thing. Yeah. And that's my impression of the first twenty seconds of the film, right. based on his quote. You know, opening up. So. There's a sentimentality to the piece that is so charming to this video piece. Um, Kelly talking about the importance of his friendships with Luke Monroe's family and how they totally and how they comfort him after the loss of his father. Kelly's thoughtful sensitivity and his intelligence have always made him more likable than any other sports demigods that we revere. Um, Continuance indulges us in that side of Kelly, that sentimentality. 
And after the 15 minutes I spent watching it, I feel like I know Kelly Slater better, and I feel like I know him personally. You like him more? I do. Cool. Totally. Me too. I feel like I'm his buddy. Me too. You know? So in, in one scene, the one that you talked about with Tomo, he's expressing those frustrations about people criticizing his board, and everyone's an effing critic nowadays. Nobody points out the positive aspects of the board. They just want to criticize. So his sensitivity about other people's criticisms actually endeared me to him. Uh, the fact that he's emotional about other people's criticism shows a certain openness and I think shows an introspection in Kelly that, again, made me like him more. Yeah. So while I loved all of that and I loved getting a deeper glimpse of our hero, I was a little saddened by the whole film because it felt like Kelly was being reflective. He's talking about the Gold Coast and why it's been important to him over the years. It felt... this. Video felt like a swan song. It felt like a farewell piece, something to document his final year on tour. While John John's 2006 series 12 featured John John talking about the future and what's to come, in continuance, whenever Kelly Slater is talking about contests, he's talking about past wins and he's looking at old trophies. The only moments where he's discussing the future are about his wave pool, his board designs, not competition. So perhaps this was unintentional on Kelly's behalf. But I felt like it was noticeable as the viewer, you know? Yeah. So unequivocally, the most passion that Kelly expresses through the entire film is when he's looking at forecasts and tracking swells around the globe. He even states that he abandoned his, quote, boot camp training regimen prior to Snapper to go surf overhead barrels. Todd Glazer, Kelly Slater's photographer and someone that we've had on the show a couple of times, suggests that that's in fact a good thing. He says, quote, while everyone else is riding small boards and prepping for contests, Kelly is getting shacked in overhead barrels. That's what keeps him inspired and motivated, end quote. So Todd certainly knows Kelly better than I do, and he knows what motivates Kelly. But I honestly have to wonder if that trip motivated Kelly to surf snapper. Him going and surfing double overhead barrels, did it motivate him to surf snapper, or did, was it just reflective of where Kelly wants to spend his time nowadays? Yeah. You know what I mean? I. How so, could you surf snapper with that many people out there and right, be motivated? Right. So the surfing alone makes continuance worth watching. The one barrel that they show at that strike mission uh, is below sea level, and he's pumping and weaving through the entire thing, making multiple sections. Yep. It's absolutely insane. The contest footage from Snapper that we all watched live is radical to watch in this film because they're showing it from angles that we don't see in the WSL feed and it's slow motion. The slow motion really highlights Kelly Slater's body mechanics, his response time to ways that the wave is behaving and how his board is engaging with him and the water surface as he rebounds off the whitewash cutty. Like the film is from the angles from the rocks, so it's like looking behind. Yeah. And you watch him bank off the whitewash and just see this nuance, like I said, in body mechanics and, and board response that you don't see on the WSL broadcast. And it's actually captivating. And it makes this worth watching. And it's kind of a testament to the limitations of judging surfing. As every wave surfed in this edit appeared to be a 10-point ride to me. And it reminds you how hard he got ripped off. Oh, gosh. Smoked. Not by Gabriel. But by the judges. Right. Yeah. In, it came down one, to a was, final exchange. Yeah, I never complained about the judges. That was the one time that I'm like, are you kidding me? Well... It's highlighted in this. And they exactly. don't... Exactly. And it kept reminding you. It did. 
and it's one heat, one wave, whatever, but it was a big one. That was a big one for Kelly Slater fans who wanted him to get number 12. It, it makes you wonder if that um, derails his stated intention of going for the world title, where he just feels like, dude, I surfed at the top of my game, and... He beat him. Yeah, he, totally. And so this video shows that Kelly doesn't comment on it. They don't take a stance on whether it was right or wrong. They don't even say it was controversial. They just show those two waves. And again, Kelly surfing flawlessly out there in this video. So that makes it worth watching alone. And I will continue by saying that I can't help, even though I don't want to, I can't help but psychoanalyze Kelly Slater's headspace in this piece. As a lifelong Kelly fan and someone who wants to see him trounce John John Florence at pipe, Felipe at snapper, Mick at J-Bay, there are some painfully disheartening clues in this piece that point towards a 2017 exit from the world tour. No! Clues that only further serve to hammer home sentiments that I've shared on this show about Kelly Slater lacking the focus required to win a 12th world title. The most obvious of those clues is that continuance feels like a knockoff of John John series 12 that he published last year. John John's was a seven-part series that ended up documenting his campaign to win his first world title. It was heavily centered around, does this sound familiar? Contest performances. Showing him spending downtime with his family. Showing him in the shaping bay with Paisel. It showed him darting off on strike missions between events. And it was punctuated with confessional-style interviews. So Kelly Slater's continuance appears to have taken the exact same concept... Let's document an attempt at a world title campaign. It's nearly the exact same structure as John John Florence's 12, vacillating between the progress of the event and the down days exploring with his voiceover about his headspace. And then it follows a very similar shot list even to John John's film. That isn't actually a criticism. Although it sounds like a criticism, it isn't. I loved 12. Yeah, if it ain't broke, right? I loved 12 and I like Continuance a lot. But what it does illustrate, Chris, is that Kelly's following John John's lead, which to me speaks volumes. In surfing, in board design, in marketing oneself, and especially with his wave pool and outer known, Kelly has always been the innovator. We've never seen Kelly follow anyone else's lead. And I feel like in the past, if Kelly wanted to do a video series documenting his world title campaign, if Mick had done it the year before, or even worse, if Andy Irons had done it the year before, Kelly would have immediately scrapped the idea. He would have scrapped it to spite Andy. Because Kelly doing it after Andy would have validated Andy having done it first. And so I feel like what's worse is 10 months after John John Florence launched 12, he delivered on his promise and he won the world title. So Kelly opened continuance by stating his intention to win a world title in 2017. Where does that leave the series if he doesn't win? You Uh, know what I mean? So the following of John John footsteps feels as though Kelly has already acquiesced his throne to John John. It's apparent that he doesn't view John John as an adversary, as Kelly did with Andy. It seems that he's okay following John John's lead, and that he views John John as a worthy successor to the throne of, quote, best surfer in the world. And actually, I like that. If Kelly feels that way, I actually agree with him. John John Florence is the complete surfer, and he also has the it factor. John John would be a great representative of our sport in the tradition of Duke, Sean Thompson, Stephanie Gilmore, Kelly Slater. But 
in order for Kelly to win his 12th world title, he needs a fiery drive and determination, and he needs to view John John Florence as an adversary. He needs to want to demolish John John. And as a postscript, kind of the irony of ironies, John John series was named 12 because that's his jersey number. And Hurley had t-shirts printed with the number 12 on them, and everyone wore them while they were celebrating John John's first world title in a champagne bath. Kelly Slater among them, the very man who is striving for number 12 himself. Whoa. So the Good films. Day. You went deep. You, you the, just went there. Went there, dude. Love it's, it. it's the universe colliding right on Kelly. Or is it a head trick from John John? I'm going to make my jersey 12 because Kelly will never get it. Whoa, dude. You're so, blowing my mind. The film's final frame is a slide with text that reads Coming out of Australia, Kelly is in a challenging position. But that is what continuance is all about. The perseverance and commitment between where we are and where we want to be. End quote. So, Chris, is continuance a documentary of Kelly's 12th world title season? Or is it a documentary of Kelly's final season on tour? Or is it both? Hopefully it's both. Oh, I just ruined your anger. <laughs> you oh. stepped on it. Okay, do it again. Okay. I thought you were asking me a question. Chris, do it again. I am. Do it again. I am. I am. Okay. okay. Chris, is Continuance a documentary of Kelly's 12th world title season, or is it a documentary of Kelly's final season on tour? Or is it both? Only time will tell. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you did that pause, and I jumped in and... Oh, but the second one was better. Thank you. Yeah, um, I needed a second. I'm, I'm with you. I'll put it together. Uh, I hope it's both. I mean, I really hope it's both. I, I would, you know, I've, I haven't been vocal about it, but I, I'm not. You know, when Kelly won so much, I'm, and I was more on like Team Andy, um, we were just found better friends, I guess. And then when he did, when Kelly did the comeback, I was kind of back on Team Kelly because it was, you know, see that see a guy. Yeah fight and get it back and the be last emotional. yeah the last couple of years obviously I've been on team John John he's my favorite surfer he's everybody's favorite surfer but I think it would be so great for the sport so great for the fans so great for the tour for everything if Kelly at this point miraculously pulled it through yeah and I think that is kind of the you know the irony or the roll of the dice when you set out to document an achievement and at this point it looks I mean it's gonna you know this is like any football team you know we're gonna film this whole year right we're gonna win the Super Bowl it's a risky move you know or we're gonna film training up into the Olympics and something happens where you you know get hurt or you just don't do well then it kind of just ends you know on a well, like I said, Whimper. well, like I said, this might just be a documentary of his final season on tour rather than his title campaign. And I felt like this piece already had that vibe because it was reflective. Like I was saying, he's talking about what the Gold Coast has meant to him over the years. Whereas with 12, John John was only ever talking about what's to come in his life. Right. You know, and that alone spoke volumes to me. I'm like, Kelly, you're looking the wrong way, dude. You know, I think either way, he's got a good ender. A good ending. You okay. Know? I think if he, if if it the tour doesn't go his way and he continues the continuance series, he'll be able to leave it on an open ended thing. Like I am now going to go surf these wave pools. I'm going to do trips. I'm going to build my company. I'm going to spread the joy of surfing to the world. Yeah. And instead of like, I'm done. 
I won the 12th world title. I'm done. Yeah. In a way, I feel like he has two ways that he can end this thing. And hopefully it continues because I'm with you. I love I loved the first episode. Yeah. I want more. They did a great job. He's got job. some catching up to do, though, right? I mean, it's been three events since that one came out. I want to see him talk about his injury. Let's see how legit that actually is. Yeah, maybe, Was it really worth pulling out of the event? Yeah, they'll show him wrestling with somebody. You know, <laughs> no, that's what happened. Um, well, I, I, I love Kelly. I want him to win. Me too. I just, I can't help but call a spade a spade when I see these things. You know, right. Like him following John John's lead is just so out of character for him. He never would have done that with Andy. So, anyway... Um, uh, going in for the rest of the season, my pick, or my pick at the beginning of the season for a world title was Julian Wilson. Obviously, that was a horrible pick on my part, and I think I'm proven wrong. Sal Mascalas was Mick Fanning for the whole year, which he's still in contention, I, I, you could argue. Who's your pick for the world title this year? John John. Really? Yeah. He's going to... I don't remember anybody getting a back-to-back world title since Kelly. Parker was one and done. Mick's done a couple... I don't know if they were... I think two were sequential. Gabriel hasn't done it. Adrian hasn't done... Or Adriano hasn't done it. So... Yeah. I think John John... um, That's my brain and... uh, Psych telling me, but... If Kelly won, that would be rad. Okay. So, John John or Kelly. Alright. If you look at the numbers... I mean, again, a great story if you own right. Dude, I would love that story. Yeah. The WSL would love that story. Oh, yeah. And he's the nicest dude. So, I love when good people win. Yeah. Me too. Right on. Cool. Man, good to reconnect with you. Splendid. (laughs) Yeah, brother. All right. Super-sized episode. Again, 120-minute episode for you. So, Caught Inside with Chris Cote, episode one. So, Chris was not only episode one of Surf Splendor, he's now officially episode one of Caught Inside. How did that happen? Anyway, hope that you enjoyed the format. Feel free to leave feedback about it. Um, There's one, my absolute favorite moment of Chris Cote of all time, I think has been buried in the internet, but I'm going to revive it for you here right now. Chris Cote was interviewing Kelly Slater on the beach in Fiji one year and uh, got him to sing a little duet of Michael McDonald's What a Fool Believes. And Kelly's got a shockingly beautiful voice. So, uh, and a spot on Michael McDonald impersonation. So, uh, enjoy this. We've gotten pretty deep in such a short span of time. Would you want to bring this out with some Michael McDonald? I would. I would love to do that with you. Yeah. You want to start it off? She came from somewhere back in a long ago. Sentimental fool, don't see, try and hard to recreate what it was to be created. Once in a life, watching it go. What a fool believe. Go do the high part. I can't. I, no, you can we, do the high fill, part. You fell out a key there. What like, you went to a different key. A, like, I can't follow. What a fool believe. All right. Well, Kelly right, Slater, whatever. congrats on uh, taking the... A wild man has the power. That's Kelly Slater, your number one in the world, and uh, the winner of the 2013... Wiener. Welcome. Wiener. PG Pro. How rad is that? 
I always love that. I don't know why that's so funny to me. Anyway, thank you to Chris Cote for participating in this show over the years. And uh, we're psyched to have you in the podcast game. You're killing it. So keep it up. Keep consistent with production. That's key. Looking forward to it every Monday morning. Everything that Chris and I discussed in this episode is available on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Even that little video clip of Kelly and Chris singing. Uh, you can find that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And, of course, you can follow us on Instagram at surfsplendor. Thanks so much for always tuning in. Thanks for sharing the show with friends. Thanks for rating and reviewing it in iTunes. That helps us grow our audience. The larger we can grow the audience, the more great content we can bring you. All right. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back next week with an all-new episode and a new show title of that episode with your beloved Scott Bass. We hug, we kiss, and we make up. And until then, this is, of course, David Scales reminding and encouraging you to get back in the ocean, get a couple of waves, and shred on. Away, away, when the tide